with the works of the flesh, you can have one or two, whatever you pick out one again. But with the fruit of the flesh, you can't do that. Fruit of the flesh, you can't do that. Because with the fruit of the flesh, you, you get them all. And, and many times, some of those, those fruits in your, in your being or in your body will be manifesting more than some others, but still you have them all. So the, uh, the Apostle Paul, after talking to them about the fact that God has given us the ability not just to be saved through Christ, but the ability to exemplify the characteristics of Christ in our lives. So in chapter 6, he begins by talking about what the new life we possess ought to look like. He talks about the new life and the fellowship of the brotherhood, verses 1 through 6. And, and, he, and as he does this, he talks about a new life as a stewardship and those two things. So in this new life of brotherhood, in, in verse 1, he says this. He says, Brethren, if a man overtake it in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, so the new life and brotherhood, now contrast that with what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. Look what he says in 5 and verse 15. He says, But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Man, what a contrast. Right? He's saying here in verse 1, if, if here we are as, as a fellowship, and if, if we have somebody in our fellowship that's overtaken in something, or they're getting caught up into something they should do, whatever it may be, uh, as a result of that, he's saying that you who are spiritual, you are spiritual that really care about this person, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. But over here in verse 15 of chapter 5, he says, But you bite and devour one another, Beware, lest you be consumed by one another. What a contrast. Almost from black to white. And I once read where J. Vernon McGee said that he always wanted to preach a message on Galatians 5.15 that you bite and devour one another. And he said if you got to do that, he would call the title of it Christian Cannibals. And it's really the truth. Let's be honest. Jesus once said, if you have love one to another, the world will know that you're my disciples. He says in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've also loved you, that you also love one another. He says in verse 35, by this all will know that you're my disciples, if you have love one, one to another. He repeats it in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In John 15, 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. We get the impression here what God's saying to us. He's saying that we, in this fellowship, we all love one another. Now, when we first come into a fellowship, maybe we don't know people, whatever, but the more we spend time with one another, the more we pray with one another, then there ought to be an agape type of love that comes about in our lives, that we really do care one another. I believe that every member of this church ought to feel like they can call certain people in this church that would be that they're closer to. And, and let's face it, Jesus one time taught us this. He taught us that we have three types of relationships in our lives. The, the friend relationship is something that, that, that I think is a, a relationship that we don't, uh, we don't emphasize. Uh, you know, and, and yet I think we should. And, and I think men have more problems with this than anybody. Men have problems with intimacy. And what do you mean by I'm not talking about sexual intimacy, intimacy. I'm talking about opening yourself up where that you really open and you, you let people know who you are and, and 
sometimes I think we're so afraid that if we do that, people are going to look different at us, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. But so, so, but he t- talked about three types of relationships. He talked about those people that were servants. He talked about those people that were friends, and he talked about people that were hirelings. And he talks about hirelings is when the sheep, when the wolf comes, uh, because they're being paid, they take off. The the the, uh, the person who is the servant, and Jesus had those kind of people in his life. The servants were the eight disciples that that were with him, and yet three of them were his friends with Peter, James, and John. He loved all of them, but there were three of them that had a closer walk with him. They got to see him at the best he was when he was transfigured. They got to see him at his worst when his blood became as, as great drops of blood in the garden. So, and you have the very same thing in your life. And I think sometimes we have to be careful how we open ourselves up to people that get hurt in relationships. They get hurt because they open themselves up either to a hireling or to a servant. They don't, and they don't. And you know, if you have three to five friends in your life, really close friends, you're gonna, you're really gonna have something there that you have somebody. Somebody, and here's what I'm talking about: a friend. You know, that I, I, I was talking about somebody that you could call at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and they would be there. I'm talking about somebody when everybody else is putting you down or saying negative things about you. That person is saying, no, I won't believe that story. They tell me from their mouth or they tell me that's exactly what the truth is. They uphold you. So that's what I'm talking about. Jesus is telling us how the world will know that we're disciples. And he's telling us, and we got, and here's what we do. We try to tell everybody that we're Christians. And that didn't work. There's a lot of people out there who say they belong to the Lord. A lot of people out there who say they're Christians. And Jesus said in those days that He's coming that there'll be those that, he, that will look at me and say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many miracles? Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. But the truth of the matter is that, that, that not by saying I'm a Christian, but by demonstration that we are Christians. The people at Antioch that were first called Christians, they were called Christians. Why? They were called Christians because they, and that means little Christ, because they looked in their life and they saw something there that was different from everybody else. And so, by demonstrating of love to one another, and especially brothers and sisters who belong to Jesus, people who are in Christ, and us at the hope of glory. So, so when people come to our church and people say, well, people are friendly, or, or people, you know, they talk to one another, or we, we get along with one another, I hope and pray that that's really true. But let's don't be superficial. Let's really love one another the way we ought to love one another. Because I'm telling you, as we've already seen in this past week or so, this world is heading south, guys. And the reservoir or the oasis that we're looking for is right here in the church. And we need to build those relationships with one another to the point in place that we know that we can depend upon one another. You know? So, but let's be honest. In many churches today, Christians bite, eat, and they devour one another. And a bite is as bad as a mad dog. It, it, it lives, lives are destroyed, and even whole families, even children are affected, and they're affected because mom and dad got mad at church, and because of that, they quit and quit, and now the kids are made possibly to be lost forever. You don't think about those things. And there's too many mad dogs that are running around today. Churches where actual fights break out, and the police have to be called. That happened right here in Clarkdale. But you had to bring the, the sheriff in to, to get Christians suing one another. One church in Lexington became so distraught with one another, and they couldn't get along, they closed down the church. 
And this was not a small church. This was a church of about 1,500 people. When I was over there, I don't know, that's two or three years ago, and, and, and it was blasted all over the TV, and every night they'd had something on the news, and they were talking about how they couldn't get along, and all that. Boy, that really helped the kingdom of God, didn't it? And one day I was over there close, and I went, and I sat in their parking lot for a while. I just sat there, trying to figure out what happened. They had a padlock on the door. And here's this huge church, huge educational building. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, with, we could probably take our new church and set it down in it, but this church was so huge, and, and the educational building was two levels. And they couldn't get along. And some people come in and make some bad decisions about money and about other things. You know, one of the things that we have tried to do in this church, more than anything else, is, if I hate this word, transparent, but but. But the truth of the matter is we've always tried to let everybody in the church know what we were doing. Know what we were doing. You know, I made a certain salary for several years in this church, for 17 years, and, and that was about $1,000 a month. That's what I made. That's how much I made for how many years. Because the Lord always took care of me in this hotel. And every time they wanted to give me a raise, I would say no. And yet, here's the whole thing about it, and we'll get into this in a little bit because it's, it's important. It's important that we do that. Why is it important? Not for me, or not that I get paid, because the Lord takes care of everything I really get. But, but the whole point of what I'm trying to say is, in the day's going to come when I'm going to leave, and you're going to have to bring another pastor in here. And when you bring another pastor in here, especially if a young pastor or somebody else, you're going to want to support him and his family in such a way that you know that you can you can have a good pastor. So it's important that we get used to that. It's important, and the board saw that, and I really appreciate what they did. I appreciate not for the I appreciate the fact that they gave me more money, but I also appreciate the fact that they did this in such a way that that thinking about the future. So, but many churches are having problems. I actually went over there and I sat there, and and you know, and it was just hard for me to believe. But you know, we take you know. We take our dirty laundry and we put it out there, and we don't realize how it affects the kingdom of God. Jesus warned us of the little foxes that spoil the vines, and many times it starts simply with two people not getting along and getting mad at one another, and refuse to speak one another, forgive one another, and it spreads, and it can cause a church split. Is it any wonder that the world has passed by the church in our day? They look at some churches. And they look at them and they think, well, man, I've got all that same stuff, all that biting and devouring. Your, i got the same thing in my life right now. Why would I want to go there and just pick up on more of it? You know, the shame of it all is, is there's many fine people in the church. The church is still the best thing God ever put upon the face of this earth. And many wonderful preachers throughout the country. But the lives of Christians are keeping certain people from the church. Because they, don't, they live in such a way that's just contrary to what the Bible teaches so Paul is dealing step by step in the sanctification by the Holy Spirit here in chapter 6. And we've seen it being saved by faith and living by grace perpetuates falling from grace. What do you mean by that, Luke? I'm saying, he's saying this is the Word of God. You know, when people talk about falling from grace, they immediately say, well, this person went out and sin. No, I don't, well, let me just say this to you. That's not what the Bible teaches. 
the, the Bible teaches us that if you take the grace of God and you mix it with the law, listen to what it says in chapter 5, verse 4. It says, you have become estranged from Christ. Estranged, you've been separated from Christ. You have attempted to be justified by the law, and you've fallen, you've fallen from grace. Well, what do you mean by that, Lee? It's the same thing that Paul is teaching over in Romans chapter 12, and I didn't give you this, but in chapter, uh, chapter, is it chapter 12, or is it chapter, no, it's not chapter 12, it's chapter 10. Listen, Paul says this, Brethren, my heart's desire, start with verse 1, and go down to say verse 3. Uh, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is, is that they might be saved. Go on to verse 2. For I bear them witness that they got a zeal for God. Well, they're doing all this stuff, they're doing religious stuff, but not according to knowledge. It's not according to what God has said. And then he goes on, look at verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish what? Their own righteousness have not committed to the righteousness of God. That's what he's saying over here. He says, you've become estranged from Christ. Whoever attempted to be, you've been tried to be justified by the law, you fall apart. It's the same thing as Cain and Abel. Cain came, you know, Abel came because God had instructed them that without a blood sacrifice, that person couldn't be justified. Cain comes bringing a foul. And God says, no, I won't accept that. And he said, if you go back and do what's right, it'll be accepted. But he got mad, and next thing you know, he killed his brother. So, so we, we've also seen that when a man or a woman is saved by faith and walking in the Spirit, then it produces the fruit of the Spirit. We've seen it means to, what it means to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 tells us if we, say, if we walk in the Spirit, uh, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And what happens when we walk in the Spirit? Then, uh, then as a result of that, we fulfill the law. That's why it tells us over here, it looks at the fruit of the Spirit, that against this, there is no law. Thus, there is no law. Why? There doesn't need to be a law. You're doing what Jesus wants to do. So Paul comes to the place of how the fruit of the Spirit will work in our lives. That's what he's trying to do. He, he talked to us about walking the Spirit, you don't fulfill the lust of flesh. He talked about 518, be not drunk with wine, where that says, but be filled with the Spirit. Now he's talking about, how does this play out in our lives? We talk about, you know, I know some people sometimes, and they'll emphasize tongues, they'll emphasize all this other stuff, and yet by the same token, they're some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life. I mean, and the, 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 how they act, they, I just don't feel the love of Jesus. And, and it not, should not be that way. So here in chapter 6 is where Paul, we see he puts the shoe leather, where it can hit the pavement in our, in our home. So Paul gives us three illustrations of how this is going to work. And so he's talking about three different situations that you and I, that God is going to put us in, He's going to put you in these situations. And some of you right here today have found yourself in these situations. He's talking about, number one, the sinning brother. That's verse one. He's talking about the burden brother. And that's verse two and verse four, or verse five, the person who is burdened. Then he's talking about this. He's talking about those, when we get down here to verse six, he's talking about those who teach or preach the word. So he's talking about the relationship as we start off here. This is not finished because we've got a way to go in it. But starting off, this is who he's talking about. So he's talking about one, a brother who that is, is gone out and they're doing things they shouldn't do. He's talking about that brother or sister that's really burdened down in your relationship with them. Because remember what he says in verse 1. He's overtaken and he's saying, restore, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. That's what he says. You know, and so 
talking about that you know so you know the thought here is someone running from sin but sin being faster Isaiah chapter 63, verse 1. Because, you know, when we talk about trespass, a, a brother who's taken in a, a trespass or has a fall, it's the word parapotoma in the Greek, and it means falling aside on the mishap to, or to stumble. But look what it says in Isaiah. This is the attitude that we ought to have towards those people that have fallen by the side, a backslid, whatever you want to call it. But look at the attitude. This is what we ought to do. Look at this. In all their afflictions, who's that talking about? Talking about you and I. In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. You see that? Jesus was afflicted because of our afflictions. In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them, and saved them in his in his love and his piety. He redeemed them. And he bore them and carried them all the days of old. It says that Jesus literally redeemed us and took our place. He took our affliction. We were afflicted. He took our affliction. Is what what is saying here. And so, two passages show the legalistic approach to such events, and that would be John chapter eight, and verse three through five. And I, it says, then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act in verse 5. Why Moses the law commanded us that to be stoned. But what do you think? This is the legalistic way of treating the people. They catch this woman in the act of one of them and they try to embarrass her. They throw her down. She probably, probably, you know, maybe didn't have a chance to probably put a roll. She passed close. She comes and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. That's what they say. There's another example of this found over in the book of Acts, chapter 21, verse 27 and 29. And this is when Paul told the Jerusalem to go there. They warned him not to go, but he, he felt the Lord still wanted him to go, and so he goes there. And so when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, they were looking for him, were in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, and laid hands on him, in verse 28, crying out, Men of Israel, help, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against people the law and the place. And furthermore, is also brought Greeks from the temple as the defile the holy place. And so what, what in, in both these examples, there is no attempt whatsoever to restore anyone in his place. And one of the duties I believe that we as a church have is that our first responsibility is try to restore people that they've fallen out of place. We're to go to them. We're to try to talk to them. That's not always an easy thing to do. And I've had to do that many times. And you just pray in your heart and soul that God will give you the words and I will believe that. You wait for that door of opportunity. You wait for, as, as uh, the Bible says in Colossians, door of opportunity. And you hope and pray that God will be in the midst of your heart where they're going to listen and hear what you've got to say. But you also pray that God will give you the words to say to that person. You know, but if you go in, if you rush in like these other two examples we got, and you rush in and you start talking about, you, you know, you're just really doing wrong and this kind of stuff, and there's no love, there's no empathy for that person, then you're not going to be successful in that the Lord is telling us in every situation like this, we should make every effort to try to restore someone. That's what it says. The word restore here is the Greek word meaning to set a broken bone 
or the New Testament meeting of fishing nets like me. But notice the task of restoration, who it belongs to. It is not to be done by a novice. It is not to be done by a person who has just become a Christian. And they're going out to do it. It's not to be done by somebody who has not studied the Word. It is not to be done by somebody that is not walking in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But rather you who are spiritual, it's like saying, a believer that is walking in the Spirit. Why? Because the inspiration and the revelation of the Holy Spirit as to what to say. Let me say it again. When you're going out and here's somebody that's got yourself in a mess and you're going out and you feel like you want to help them and you're trying to help them, the Lord's leading you to do that, then you absolutely, totally, why is it, why, why, if you're going to be successful, then you must absolutely, totally depend upon the revelation and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as to what to say to them. And sometimes you need to go to them and, and maybe not even say anything. Just put your arm around them. If it's a, a woman to a woman and a guy to a guy, sometimes it, that's what needs to be done just by doing this and you're trying trying to help them. Listen, Psalms 1-1 is the key. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I have many times people will call me with problems and different things and they want me to refer them to a counselor or somebody. I refuse to refer them to somebody that is not a Christian. Why? Because that person, I don't care how educated or whatever they are, do not avail themselves of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, many times, I'll be sitting in a counseling situation or sitting with somebody, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will identify exactly what's wrong and give me words to say. Those who are mature in the faith, First, uh, first, first Corinthians two fifteen says, "But he who is spiritual does what? He judges all things. The person who is mature and spiritual, they're going to judge all things. Yet himself is rightly judged by nobody." Now, over in the book of Proverbs in the thirteenth chapter, it tells us some of the things that we're to do. And, and when you when you're going to sit with somebody, you, and God puts you in a position where you're going to counsel with somebody. Well, listen to what this says, Proverbs eighteen. And look what this says, verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it is folly and shame to him. Don't get your gun out and shoot him right away. But sit and listen to what they've got to say. Get them to talk. Let them listen. Let them talk and let them hear. You've got to hear what's really going on. Because according to this verse right here, if you answer something before it is left, you're not going to know what to say. You may cause more problems than you would that you had in the first place. So he who answers the matter before he hears it is following shame him. Now go on to verse go, go on to verse fifteen. Verse fifteen says, The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. So what does that mean? It means that you're going to sit and you're going to listen, you're going to ask a question, and you're going to try to acquire some knowledge. And you well, why you know, why is this happening? Okay. And then look also look at verse seventeen. Verse seventeen says and here's the thing you better note, note you know, especially if you're dealing with a situation where husband and wife, they're, 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 you know, they're going at one another, and one said he did this, and she says he did this, this, whatever. Listen to what this says. It says, the first one to plead his cause seems right. So his neighbor comes and examines him. What does that mean? That means he can hear the other side. Well, it sounds like this person does. This other person does. This is the person who's the shot. So, so the definition of what maturity is, I believe, is found over in Hebrews chapter five, verse thirteen, fourteen. For everyone, listen to this: for everyone who partakes 
partake only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So he's a babe. Now, what is milk? Let me tell you what milk is. Milk is something that has to go through the regurgitation system of some other animal or person. And so, if your sustenance only can come from other people rather than what the Lord wants you to do, He wants you to come to Him and get your sustenance from directly from Him through the Word of God, through prayer. doesn't mean you don't listen to teachers and preachers and all that, but there ought to be a time in your life when you're getting your sustenance straight from the Lord. Now, people don't want to hear this. You know, well, you've got to talk to you about the problem. But, you, you know, and, and one of the questions you need to really ask is this. What's the Lord saying? Before you jump up and go out here and start counseling people, you better make sure that what the Lord is telling you is affirmed by the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit never tells you to do anything that the Word of God never will tell you to do. Furthermore, this is a delicate work. I mean, I'm serious. It's delicate work, and it must be done gently. You're trying to help somebody, they're going through problems, and this is why the fruit of the Spirit is so important. And if you look at verse 23 in chapter 5, what's the first one? Fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Now, sometimes people come to you and boy, they've done some terrible things. I have said this to some people. They've been crying their eyes out. Because they've done something. I'd put another chair in front of my desk. So that when they came in and sat down, 
all you can see was about their nose just at the level of my face. And they're looking at me. You know, so, you know, so, but, but I, I'm really being serious here now when I say if you get into a counseling situation with a husband or wife situation or girlfriend, boyfriend, the ones that are not being faithful or whatever, be careful that you don't get stuck doing that. Let us also give you warning that anyone who finds themselves in a situation that you're asked for counsel where sin is involved. I have to know, listen, let me just say this to you. And I mean this. I don't know everything. I don't know everything. But I have to know when to get in and when to get out. I have to know when I'm getting in situations that are over my head that I need to call in somebody else that really knows what they're doing more than I do and turn that person over to them for counsel. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't think you can go do that. You know, you, you could get into all kinds of problems as a result of that. When I feel I'm getting in over my head, it's time that I refer to that person to someone with greater experience in that area. Or, or here's the other thing. When I feel like I, that person wants me to counsel with them and, and I, we're not making any progress, we're going back over the same old plow ground over and over and over again, and we're not making any progress. Or here's the other thing. Or, or they're refusing. When I usually, when I'm counseling somebody, I usually give them homework. Something they need to do. And when they refuse to do that, it's saying to me, it's not doing good. So let's just, let's, let's, let's not, let's, let's just, you know, check in or whatever and just let it go. If I see that, and, and, of course, you also got to understand this. There's some people that want to come in, and they just want to tell you how their life sucks. I'm serious. And you say, okay, well, let's do this. Oh, I can't handle it. Well, how about if we do this? Let's pray over this. Oh, I can't handle it. Well, what about going to this person? How about going, no, I can't handle it. I mean, there's no use talking to them. And why? Because there's some people that are satisfied being miserable. Amen? I mean, they live there. They live in misery. They want to be miserable. I mean, it's like that couple with Andy Griffin that time, remember? Now that they fought and fussed, and Andy went and they get called over there, they'd be throwing things, and they went in there, and, and Andy got in and said, Now listen, you need to call her sweet. You need to call her sugar babe. You need to call him honey bun. All they got them up. And they were miserable, so they had to go back and get them fighting again. There are some people that that's all they want to do. They're not happy unless they got a mess going on. And you need, what I'm saying to you is recognize when you're dealing with somebody like that because you're wasting your time. They don't want to change. Also be careful. Many problems have occurred when someone comes all broken and open up to you about a sexual type of sin. Be careful. Be careful. Maybe there has been hurt and been hurt badly and they're looking for someone to lean on. But careful, once again, you're not immune to falling into sin. you got to watch it. A lot of times when I'm in situations and things, I invite them to come to my home. The reason I invite them to come to my home is because I'm sick of them. Be careful. Above all means, remember who you are in Jesus Christ, that He saved you by grace and you didn't deserve it. We have no right to condescend to anybody. That was the problem with the men who brought the woman caught in the very act of adultery. They didn't see their own sin. 
I, I heard a story one time of a preacher who was had a problem with alcohol before he got saved. And when he got saved, and after he got saved, God called him not only saved him, but he called him into ministry. And with the pressures of ministry and everything on him, and I can see how this happened. One night he was out, whatever, and he got he became intoxicated. The next morning he comes to his board. He calls a meeting of his board and he says he comes in and he's ready to leave. Thank God for people that have the spirit of God in them that can discern that. And some of those deacons looked at him and said to him, Let's talk about this. And they wouldn't let him alone. He went in front of the congregation and basically told them the very same thing. And they said they had to offer a revival in that church that had to And it changed that man's life. See, that's the kind of thing that we can do. So what are we, we're so quick to pull the trigger on everybody. You know. Um, so, here's the second part. second verse is this. It says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the life of Christ. Paul goes on the case of the burdened brother or the sister. Now, now I'm dealing with that person who, who just, they've just got all kinds of things going on in their life. So the outworking of the Holy Spirit in you to minister to the person who's burdened. A serving Christian lends a helping hand with a heavy burden. Now, here's the thing you got to understand. When the Bible uses the word burden in Scripture, there's 11 different Greek words for the word burden. And, and, and what I'm saying is, there are some people who have tried to say, because if you do this, look, look what it says uh, at verse 5, and we'll get down it, but I'll go ahead and mention it to you here now. It says, for each one of you shall bear his own burden. Verse 5, for each one of you shall bear his, bear, or bear his own load. But if you go over here to uh, if you go over here to uh, chapter five, uh, um, uh, okay, here it is, chapter five, and, and I'm looking for the verse here. Okay, I'll, okay, let me come let me come back to it. But I want to show you this because there's some people that believe that this is a contradiction. But there are 11 different Greek words for the word burden. So, so the principle would apply to all loads of burden. The context has a special reference to the heavy and oppressive weight of temptation and spiritual failure. Now, when we think of temptation, we think maybe of breaking one of the Ten Commandments or nothing. But many times, that's what we only think of temptation as being in the framework of specific sin. But there's great temptation, and I see this more than any other thing. The great temptation for those who want to give up, especially those who are strong in the faith. You know, and so it is a person who, who perseveres who really knows what burdens are. Those who give up, they don't know. That's why, you know, sometimes I think, you know, we hear people give testimonies about how they've gone out and they lived their life and they did this and all that, you know, and drugs and all this alcohol and all this kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But they do all this stuff and we think, you know, we think simply, well, boy, that person, you know, here God saved them. They had a dramatic salvation experience and everything else. But you know what the truth of the matter is? The person who has persevered, maybe had to live that life, who has overcome temptation all their life over and over again, that's the person who really knows what, how to overcome temptation. It's not the person who gives into it. And so sometimes we have, we, 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 I 
doesn't get too much of that that becomes more of me than it is of Jesus. So, while the spiritual do the work, or the spirit do the work of restoring all believers are to become involved by prayer and encouragement. And let me just say a word here. Intercessory prayer. Man, I can't tell you how important that is. That we intercede for people. I wish this place would be packed on Wednesday night. Because that's what we do. We intercede for other people. What do you mean we intercede for other people? We're praying for people that are going through problems. And we're lifting them up and we're interceding for them. One of the greatest examples of encouragement to others is your faithfulness. And believe me, people watch. And Paul wrote this who will fulfill the law of Christ that is the purpose of love. And it says this over in 5.14 when it says, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now verses 3 and 4, it says, Something must be laid aside if the believer is to be burden bearer, and that is conceit. Your conceit is your destiny. Let it go to somebody else. An attitude that breeds intolerance or of error of others causes one to think he or she is above others. You just go with another person and say, you know, I don't know what they're doing. The remedy for self-conceit is found in Jesus. Like it says in verse 4, but let each one examine his own work and then he will have the work in himself and then he will have the work in Christ. Let me just say this. There's a lot of freedom here in this church. And I'm afraid that many of us don't have that freedom. What do you mean? I'm talking about a freedom good about what we do. Um, you know, the remedy for self that you don't need to compare yourself to anybody else. What he's saying, he's saying this, learn how to be satisfied with your own work that you're giving to God. 1 Peter 1, 7, it says this, it says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tempted by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory and revelation of Jesus Christ. Then, he, then, he can, then when that person does it, he can take pride and rejoice in himself over what God has done in and through his life. And Romans 12, uh, 12, 3 says, For I say through the grace given to me, everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt with each one a measure of faith. Everybody's got a measure of faith, but not to think of yourself more highly. And the Greek word is... And rendered pride, and it means personal exaltation, not sinful pride. In other words, there, there is a there, there is a pride that's okay. You know, the Christian does in fact test himself by carrying his own load. Verse five. And so, what does it say? It says, "For each one shall bear his own load." Now, what does that mean? It means this. And if we go back over here, it, it means. Uh, but, but look at verse, look, go back to verse 2. And, and some critics, there are critics of the Bible, and they're always trying to find contradictions in Scripture. And boy, they'll hunt and hunt. But rather than studying the Word, they'll hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt until they think they've found a contradiction. And many people will use these two words right here as a contradiction in the Bible. Because verse 2 says, Bear one another burdens to fulfill the law of Christ. Then you come down to verse 5, For each one shall bear his own load. What does that mean? There are burdens that other people have that they cannot lift. And, there's, and once again, I said there were 11 words 
that uh, the Greek for, for burden. And one of those words talks about a load that is suffered, and as a result of that, it becomes a burden that they cannot live by themselves. So as a result of that, somebody's got to come along and help them to live. That's what it means. You know? But there's also some burdens out there that I wish I could tell you that there's people that can come alongside you and help you to bear that burden. They can't. There are people that have to bear burdens, and the only person that can bear that burden is they themselves. The death of a child. I wish the people could come and they can pray for that child. They can try to help you. You know, I think a lot of times a lot of people are uncomfortable with human touch. And some people, and the reason they are, especially somebody that's been an injured accident or something that has happened, people have lost a child, lost a husband, something, and at a young age or something, people don't want to, and, and you know, they want to say stuff like this, well, you know, God didn't do that, or he did that, you know, God did this, and I'm like, well, there's no way, I, you know, I don't know. You know, the best thing I can do many times is just to say this, I don't know. But years ago, I read a book by the name, or by a doctor by the name of James Bible. I don't know why I thought it was interesting. I don't know. So James Bible, and he wrote a book called Abusive Husbands. In that book, he had lost three children. He lost a son in a car accident at about 17 years old. He lost another child that was about 17 years old when he was 10 years old. And in this, he talks about people coming to visit him as he was in the And it's an unusual experience. I know that. I've been there. I've been all those years as, as funeral director of my mom. I know what it's like. You know, that's probably one of the reasons God sent me there to let me go through that stuff. But man, you know, I could know that experience. I could try to give you experience. Funeral, funerals, preaching funerals are hard because you can never be yourself because you're talking about an individual. You know, some people try to preach them to heaven, and other people try to preach them to hell. You know, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. But you can't do that. But, but the whole point of what I'm saying is he said the people that he really appreciated that came to him, he said, this is what they said. It's those people that came and just said, hey, I'm here. I need to come down. And that's all they did. They didn't try to explain it. They didn't, because we don't know why God moves in that kind of way. We don't know what happens. Now, when we get to heaven, one of these days, we will know, but we don't know at this time. And so, but here's the whole point. I'm saying to you that there's, so there's certain burdens that we need to help one another carry. But there are other burdens that I wish that I, I you know, that, you know, that I wish I could think somebody's going through a divorce or something. It's another burden that causes that. Now, you can have people around it, but I'm telling you, you've got to go through it in such a way that eventually you've got to come and find the peace and uh, that God wants you to have. And this is, you know, and, and I think about, you know, in Psalm 65, verse 6, David is talking about all of his sins. He, and one night he goes out and he's going through all this stuff with Absalom and everything else, and he goes out on his porch one night, and here's what he said. He walks out on his porch, he looks up in the heavens and stars and everything, and David says this, Psalm 65, 6, he says, Oh, I said, Oh, that I had wings of a dove that I would fly with the Lord. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> Lord, I'd just like to say that. Now, some people that get into this stuff and think that they could just take off and run and do all this stuff, what they forget is that when you take off, you think, Well, I'm just, I've done this wrong, well, I'm just going to take off where nobody knows 
take yourself with you. That's the problem you have. But rather than coming to Christ and let it be happy. So, so there are people going through suffering. People going through death. And people that, that have done, you know, I, I, I used to teach a drug and alcohol class on one Martin Luther King on Thursday night. And one of the examples we used to use, and I think you know what his name was, that the boy that was, the boy that was, he went to a bar, he drank, he, not, he, normally he didn't drink a lot, but he drank one, he got intoxicated, he turned down the wrong road up in Carrollton, Kentucky, and he went down the wrong road on the interstate, and he hit a church bus. And when he hit that church bus, I forget how many, I don't know what it was, 11 or 12 people that died on that bus. One of the old guys that worked with, with, with me when I had my teaching station physician assistant over there uh, was on that bus and his whole face was disfigured because of burn. And you could tell him he, he talked a little bit about it. I just don't remember it. But he was still bitter with that guy. He still, you know, he, could, he just hadn't gotten over it. But all, and they found most of those people on that bus were high because they died phenomenally from the, the, the sedation and the, and the smoke and the, that they died from. This guy was in prison, and every time he would come up, he'd come up for. And there were people that testified in that trial, and they they testified about the fact that he was a good guy. I mean, yeah, all kind. Of, I mean, I don't have many people from the town came and testified. He was a good guy. He got prison, and every time that he would come up for parole, I don't know how many years he was in prison. I think I don't know twenty something years or whatever it was. But every time he would come up for parole, he would turn down. Because the guilt was too much. Now, so what do you do with those things? It's just, see, this is the world. How do you pay back living lies? And I say two lies, but I know you're not keeping lies. But how do you do that? The only way you can do it is through Jesus. Lord, have mercy. Well, anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, so, 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 all I'm saying is, it, so there's burdens. There's burdens that we need to carry for one another. But there's also some burdens. I wish I could tell you different, but it's not. And this is, but listen, Jesus never requires you to do anything that you can't do. This is why he says over in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Learn of me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest in your soul. There's an intimacy here that you can come to Christ and he will help you carry that burden. But there are certain Christian responsibilities or burdens each believer must bear which cannot be shared with others. But Jesus assured that those burdens He has given to us are light with, because He carries them for us. And then finally, verse 6. Look what it says in verse 6. It says this. It says, Let him who is taught the Word share all good things with him who teaches. So we have, this, we have had this cage for a sinning brother. And then we have this cage for a brother who is burdened. And now we have the case for a preaching or teaching brother. And one responsibility that each believer is to shoulder the financial support of the pastor and the teacher in the church. Now you say, well, now why are you saying that in this church? Because that's what the, the text tells us it does. Because what was happening, the reason I say this is because in that time, if you read the history of it, the Judaizers were coming in and they were convincing some believers to slack off from the support of the pastors and a special group who were giving them full time to their ministry who were not reimbursed for their labor. That's why 
So, so the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter nine, starting with verse seven, says whoever goes to war is on expense. Whoever he asks him this question, who goes to war is on expense. Somebody who plants a vineyard and does not eat of the fruit. Somebody who attends a flock and does not drink in the midst of the flock. Nobody. Or do I say these things as a mere man? Or does the law say the same also? Verse nine. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. If it is oxen, God is concerned about. Verse ten. Or does it say it all together for our sake? For our sake, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of his hope. Verse eleven. For if we have sown spiritual things for you, it is a great thing if we reap your material things. And verse twelve. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, least we hinder the gospel of Christ. Verse thirteen. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and eat? And those who serve the altar partake of those offerings in the altar. Finally, verse 26. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live, live from the gospel. Now, Paul, well, let's, let's be true. And I'm thankful how God worked in his life. Because Paul was a tent maker. And he supported his life. If, you, if God calls you to preach and you're going to preach, you'll do whatever you got to do in order to preach. A lot of guys are looking for a full-time job. You know, I, I remember who's the guy who used to preach, got killed in a car wreck up in uh, New York City. Crossing the police police parade. Who is it? Who am I talking about? Bear with me. He preached a message called full-time ministry. And that's what he said. He said a lot of people out there are looking to be paid. And that's what he called full-time ministry. No, it's not. We've all been called into full-time ministry. But listen to this. But here's the key, I think, to all this. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 17. And, and, it's, and I really, and I, I almost hesitate in saying this, because, but it's the truth that, that what God is saying here, but I, it sounds like I'm doing it. But listen, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so. Look at this. Let them do so with joy. Man, I know all kinds of preachers that don't do it with joy. They don't do it with joy and not with grief. And and now look why this is so important. Look at the last phrase there. If you got a preacher that does it out of just flat out, I don't know what, meanness, which I don't think he's mean, that's what he's trying to do, right? But he does it out of grief and, you know, everybody's on him all the time, this kind of But look, and I, I'm not talking about myself, so I don't about yeah, he's saying that, 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 I'm not saying that at all, because I'm happy. Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael wrote, I don't know how many hymns and things. 
spent 50-something years of her life in India. And in India, at one time, they had this belief. They had this belief that when a man died, and they, they didn't bury him, they put him on a thing, they burned, burned him, that when a man died, his wife had to be buried with him. Even though he died, he died, she's alive, she has to be buried with him.
our fathers full of giving. Fear not that thy need shall exceed this provision. Our God ever yearns with resources to save. Lean hard on the arm of the last availing the Father must choose our load and our burden. His love has no limits, His grace has no measure, His power no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches and beauty, He giveth, and He giveth, and He giveth again. I pray and hope that as the day will come, when you put back the gift, and you will be, you walk with the Lord, Lord, a 